Welcome to episode 10 on Life in the Front Office. Today, I am fortunate to have two guests with me, Pat Gallagher and Rick Welch. Rick, uh, president and CEO of the Golden State Warriors, and Pat, a longtime executive with the San Francisco Giants. Fellas, how are you today? Couldn't We're be doing better. great. All good. Pat, would love to have you introduce Rick Welts and kind of his uh, background, well, and we'll go into that. You know, yeah, I've been looking forward to this. I mean, President uh, Rick is currently president and chief operating officer of the Golden State Warriors. He's had a long career. He was with the with the NBA for for 17 years, but he got his start. Uh, he's with the Phoenix Suns for a number of years. Got his start in Seattle, and and Rick, I I. Um, I listened, I listened to your Hall of Fame speech. Rick was recently inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield. And I listened to your Hall of Fame speech. And one of the things you said in that speech was that your dream job was to be a P, the PR director with the Sonics. <laughs> was true. Talk, was that true? <laughs> Absolutely true. And I made it, which is even you more. You did exciting. make it. Yeah. But, you know, I took my calculator out. I, I hate to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I... Hey, so you started in 1969, right, with the Sonics? Unfortunately, true. You did, and you you know you took some time out to go to um, uh, to go to college at the University of Washington. But if my math is right, um, you've actually you know a, a few gaps in there. You've been in this business for 49 years. That can't be right. Is that right? Uh, it can't possibly be right, but I think your math is correct. Uh, <laughs> and I actually, uh, I, I got to work for the Sonics part-time the whole time I was at the University of Washington, too. So it, it's, it's almost uninterrupted uh, since 1969, which is crazy. It is crazy. And, you know, we, we're, we're, you, know you, you look at this, and the reason why we started this podcast, Life in the Front Office, was really to, to give people a... Uh, sort of a, allow them to eavesdrop on a conversation between people who've spent time in the front office uh, in professional sports. And, and it really, that's really one of the things we, we would like to talk about um, with you, Rick, about, you know, about when you started out, I mean, nobody really knows what their path's going to be all about. But why don't you just take us for a bit on your, on your path? You, you, you know where you started <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your path and, and maybe some of the people along that way that really had a that really had a uh, an impact on you. Sure, I'd be happy to. So uh, probably like a lot of people, the way I got into sports was through what I did with my dad. Um, he and I uh, were going to University of Washington football games when I was probably three years old, and uh, it was kind of our currency for conversation in our relationship. So going to games with my dad was a really important part of my life. And the Sonics were the first professional sports franchise in Seattle there long before the Seahawks or the Mariners or the Sounders. And uh, he and I started going to games at the old Seattle Center Coliseum when the team started in 1967. And I, I definitely fell in love with the game of basketball, but uh, I think more than that, what set me on my path was what else I saw there, which was uh, the first time our community had had a professional sports franchise and what it meant to the people in that community and what it, what good it could do in terms of uh, people's lives. And I, I don't think I would have articulated it that way, but there was something going on in the atmosphere of, 
you know, 15,000 people cheering on our team and looking at the standings every day in New York, Los Angeles, and there was Seattle for the first time. And, and it was a source of pride for the community. And also I could see the outsized impact it had uh, on people's lives in Seattle. And I think probably more than anything else, that's what set me on my way. Um, my lucky break, I guess, in my life, uh, career-wise, was that I uh, had a high school class with a guy by the name of Earl Woodson at Queen Anne High School in Seattle, and we used to sit in the back of our English lit class every day and, and talk Sonics, because we both loved the Sonics, but Earl was a ball boy for the Sonics, and uh, Earl came in one day with a very long face and uh, proceeded to explain to me that uh, his family was moving out of Seattle. Now, at that point, I pretended, I think, to look very upset, but the wheels <laughs> were also turning. I said, Earl, like, maybe you can, you know, take me down and introduce me to whoever it is that hires the ball boys for the Sonics. And he did. And I got scored my job as a 16 year old as a ball boy for the Sonics. So that that really set me on my path officially. Wow. And, and so I saw also in the um, uh, in your Hall of Fame speech looking is that you know, the relationship, describe a little bit the relationship. We've all have mentors that are in this business, but you've had the opportunity to work with and for Bill Russell, uh, David Stern, a number of others. Maybe, maybe talk a little bit about, uh, about some of those people that really had, a, you know, had an influence on you. Yeah, certainly I would suggest that uh, a great skill to have is picking great bosses. And I have a history of uh, being fortunate to work for some of the most outstanding people in our industry and have obviously taken a lot away from them. But it really started with the head of PR and marketing for the Sonics, guy by the name of Dave Watkins. When I thought my career was over, <clears throat> he uh, asked if I'd like to work part time in the in the media relations office while I was going to the University of Washington. And, uh, you know, without that, I wouldn't be here today. Dave was one of the most creative minds, still a friend of mine, was at my Hall of Fame induction. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that I hope that what people take away from their bosses is trying to find the, the two or three things that make them incredibly outstanding, um, maybe adopt those uh, mannerisms or, or procedures yourself, but never try to imitate the person you're learning them from because that doesn't work. You want to <clears throat> make the best of, of your own abilities and talents, but, but hopefully you learn from the people around you and the, especially your bosses, like how to be in, effective in different situations. And, you know, I'm not like any of those people that you mentioned, but I definitely have a part of each of their management styles and personalities that, that I try to express in my own way when I'm, you know, trying to be a leader. Well, and Rick, you, you talk a little bit about, you know, having the skill of, of picking good bosses, might there be something to it? And might there be something you've learned along the way that you could share with others in, in whether it's through the interview process, whether it's through networking or, or mentors or people that you meet along the way during your career that you can kind of pick out those, those things that maybe stick out to you uh, of someone you would like to work for? You know, I think Really, it's a combination of the person that you know you'd be working directly with and uh, or for and the situation uh, as you analyze it. So I, I've always been attracted to what I viewed were really high potential, but terribly unperforming organizations. Um, and then if you can combine that with uh, 
somebody that you think you can learn from and who you perceive to be a good leader, uh, you, you, you all automatically have a great opportunity. So <clears throat> when I got to, when I first met this young lawyer at the NBA, David Stern, um, he was not commissioner, uh, and he was trying to form a business organization at the NBA. And I had seen for myself what the NBA could be in a market like Seattle when we won a championship and, and, and how, how powerful it could be. That wasn't the NBA in 1982 when I, when I got there. It was a league that was uh, much maligned, uh, a lot more talk about franchises going out of business than expanding. Uh, uh, first league tainted with widespread uh, accusations of player drug use. Ownership uh, spent more time talking about how to contract than to expand. Uh, it was a mess um, at, on the national level, but I'd seen what it could be. And I saw in Stern somebody that I, I knew could be a passionate leader. Um, I, you know, fast forward to Phoenix when I had the opportunity to go there. Uh, one of the storied franchises, well-respected franchise in our league. At the time that Jerry Colangelo called me, the team was in very bad shape. We were in difficult financial shape. I spent the first year, you know, every other week trying to figure out how we we're going to meet payroll. And but I, I had also seen what that franchise had historically meant in that market and believed we could restore it to that. And with Jerry there, I knew we would have that opportunity. And I guess lastly, here at the Warriors, same thing. Um, I didn't know Joe Lake or Peter Guber before our first interview, but I had looked at the Warriors, like a lot of people in our industry, for 20 years and said, oh, my God, if you could ever – get this in the right ownership and management hands. This has got every factor uh, you would want to have the potential to be amazingly successful. And uh, it's turned out that way. It's never a guarantee, but, but so I think it's, I think for me, it's a combination of seeing a leader that you resonate with and believe you can learn something from, but also picking opportunities where uh, you really can see there's a chance to, to do something really successful. And I think those have been the, the two factors that have combined for me. Oh, that's great. And I think, you know, along all of, all of your years of experience, you know, you started in Seattle, you went to Phoenix, you're in, you know, Golden State in, in the state of California. Clearly you've stayed on the West Coast and, and I know Pat's got the Bay Area connections as well. Talk a little bit about how geography kind of plays a role in your career um, and, and has played a role in yours. And then we can kick it to Pat to uh, answer the same question. Well, for me, uh, my big move was really to New York City from Seattle, where I spent 17 years uh, in New York. And, and uh, you know, as corny as it sounds, a big part of that was the fact that I had never really traveled very much uh, as a young person. And the idea of going to New York City and try to be successful in your career is sounds like Frank Sinatra ought to sing a song about it. I don't know. But 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 there really was something to that for me. Um, and then, you know, 17 years later, uh, I had an opportunity to get back west again where I knew I would be happier for me. It was more about getting back in a team environment versus the league environment. Very, both wonderful and very different. But today in the Bay Area, I mean, our project that we're opening next year in, in uh, San Francisco, over a billion dollar new arena and other uh, development project, uh, it's it's a perfect storm. You know, the team we have, the, the Bay Area economy, the way it is today, 
The fact that we have all the companies that are charting the future of the world here is an unbelievable magnet to attract talent, both player talent and, and executive talent, uh, and a great history of, of fan support. Uh, when teams are winning and when teams are not winning. So, I mean, the Bay Area is, the Bay Area is a big factor in our success. Pat? Well, I mean, I I'm, I'm, wasn't born here, but I'm definitely a Bay Area guy. And, you know, it is a uh, – this, this market, it, it, it rewards – I'd have to say it rewards people who really, really work hard and really try hard and have great ideas. And if, if you don't measure up, um, you know, you, it's difficult to make it here. I, you know, I had the opportunity to help uh, build a new building, just like you are, Rick. And, and I guess I've told everybody, anybody who will listen, that the new Chase Center um, in San Francisco really is going to be the heartbeat of the Bay Area in terms of basketball is just one element about it. But the other things that you're going to be able to do in that building are going to be special. Let me, let me just ask you a question. Uh, you know, you hear about this all the time and we could maybe chat about it a little bit is that you hear, you hear the term culture, you know, what makes a really good culture. And it's, it's, in my experience, it's one of those easy things, you know, it's sort of an easy thing to spot tougher to actually help create, but Rick, how would you, you know, talk about a little bit about the culture uh, at the warriors in, in, and so how do you how do you get it and how do you keep it? Big question, right? Uh, yeah. So I would offer one piece of advice for anyone out there considering buying an NBA franchise. Uh, <laughs> I would I would suggest you always always uh, try to buy one that already has Steph Curry on the roster, uh, <laughs> because your overall chances for success have been greatly enhanced. Uh, but I, I, you know, my first day here at the Warriors, uh, you know, we had a franchise that was was uh, not very connected to the rest of our league. And uh, that's a really important part of NBA culture to share best practices, share uh, all information. We didn't do a lot of that here at the Warriors. So basically and, and we had people who came in every day expecting to lose. Uh, that was our biggest problem. That was true in the locker room, and that was true in the business office, too. Uh, we hadn't made the playoffs 16 out of 17 years uh, when I got to the Warriors, which is virtually impossible to do in a league that over half the teams make the playoffs every year. You, you really can't set out to do that. But losing was uh, an expectation. People, you know, the season was over. Everybody got an early vacation. Everybody got raises. Uh that year and you came back the next year and did it all over again. So we had to really, you know, first day I brought the whole staff in the lot into the conference room and said, look here, here's where we're going. This is the vision for what this franchise can be because we do have every factor to be successful. Now, if you don't believe that we, it, it can be like that and it's always going to be the way it has been, then, you know, let's have a conversation because we'll, we'll treat you great, but might not be the place for you going forward. Um, and I, and I think, you know, we, we set uh, a different vision and we invited everybody to come along. Was, I told everyone in the room that you're, we want you here. We want you to be a part of this journey, uh, really up to you. You know, if you decide this is, this is a vision you can share or whether or not you think we're, we're crazy. Uh, and then Mark Jackson, uh, our coach did the same thing in the locker room. In the locker room, we had players expected to lose and Mark, 
came in and, and took that culture and created an expectation amongst players that they would win, not lose. And uh, he was incredibly successful in changing the culture in the locker room. The two really were happening, happening simultaneously. But I, I think it was more about setting a vision, sticking to it, celebrating victories, uh, milestones along the way. And, uh, you know, over time, people who had been here were elevated to much more position or positions of much more responsibility and succeeded. And where we didn't have those people, we were able to recruit some of the best and brightest uh, uh, to come to the Warriors to be able to do that and share that vision of what we could be. But my job's, my job's to set the vision and, and try to keep us pointed in that direction. Well, and Rick, you know, talking about culture and, and maybe the different cultures you've been a part of uh, throughout your career, you know, some people may not know you were you were a part of an organization that won two WNBA championships. Right. You know, talk a little bit about um, the cultures along the way that you've been a part of, and and aside from what you have right now with Golden State, what are what were maybe kind of the things that really stood out? I think there are a lot of uh, common threads. I think in in at the NBA at, 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 with the Phoenix Suns and Mercury, uh, and here at the Warriors, um, uh, it it starts with kind of a, a belief that sports franchises have a special place in communities, and that we have an opportunity to. Uh, influence our communities in ways that that are much bigger than our economic size. We would Warriors wouldn't show up as one of the 200 biggest businesses in uh, the Bay Area, but we have an outsized impact because of what we do and, and the uh, high profile individuals that play on our team. And, and I think that the organizations I've been uh, a part of have embraced that in a very big way and have chosen to make part of their brand, uh, their, their own organizational DNA, the the commitment that you're going to take this amazing platform that you've been given and you're going to utilize it in a way that improves the lives of people in your community. Maybe that sounds a little corny, but I don't think it is. I actually even think it's a good business strategy in addition to being the right thing to do because we we deal in a human product and uh, human products have have failings. Uh, and when bad things happen, uh, I think people can fairly look at your organization and decide whether or not you deserve the benefit of the doubt based on how you've conducted yourself and your business in, in your community. And, and, I, and I think each of the organizations I've been involved in uh, has made that a high priority, and I don't think it's ever steered us wrong. No, it, it's, that's awesome. And I appreciate the insights there. You know, one might think, you know, you're a Hall of Famer, you, there's nothing you've ever done wrong in your career, and you've never failed before. Um, <laughs> talking about, you know, the cultures and, and things that really make a culture, uh, what are maybe some points in your career that you, you maybe were not as successful as you wanted to be, or you had failed, but really um, spearheaded maybe a launch for yourself uh, professionally? Yeah, so there's a there's a little gap in my resume that no one ever talks about. But I left the NBA in 1999 to uh, become the president and only employee of something called Fox Sports Enterprises. Fox at the time uh, uh, owned the Los Angeles Dodgers and Dodger Stadium, and I always knew I would get back to a team at some point. And, and when the Dodgers opportunity came to really operate as ownership for the Dodgers. Uh, that's that's when I uh, jumped at the chance and left the NBA to go to Los Angeles and the Dodgers. So I got there in June of 1999, uh, fired the president, 
Uh, we were already out of the playoffs before, uh, before I ever got there. Um, so it was going to be a year of just kind of assessing what we had. And then uh, as I was sitting on the floor of the of Staples Center for its grand opening in, in, I guess it was September of that same year, 1999, just a few months after I got in there, my two bosses, uh, Chase Carey and Peter Chernin, the co-chairman of uh, Fox, asked me to walk up to the the Staples Center uh, concourse and said, so, um, Rick, have you ever heard of a guy by the name of Bob Daly? I said, yeah, I think so. Uh, Daly, Semmel, Warner Brothers Pictures. Yeah, that's the guy. Well, he's retiring, and he decided that the Dodgers, he'd like to make this significant investment in the Dodgers, but he'll only do it if, if he has operating control. So I laughed. That was funny. Uh, I said, no, 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 I think we're actually going to do that. And like, okay, great. So just left 27 years in the NBA, and uh, I'm basically going to be out of a job six months later. So uh, I love those guys at Fox. They treated me great on the way out. But but basically there I was six months later and I was unemployed for the first time in my life. And it was the best and worst of times that all of us probably experience at one point or another where you really have to reassess your career and what you're good at. And for me, it was about what really makes you happy. And what that experience did for me was bring me back to the NBA, realizing that that's where I, I had all of my relationships that's where i had all of my experience and i loved being a part of it so uh if you you know not that long after that jerry colangelo called and said you know you need to come be president of the phoenix suns and it's but and at the time he called i was my mind was completely wrapped around that and i was even more excited for that opportunity probably than anything i'd ever done before so out of that kind of questioning time i think it solidified for me what what really made me happy and what really was important to me. So when I saw that opportunity again, uh, I wasn't going to let it go. Oh, that's great. Pat, do you have any uh, stories to share as well on the, the same respect? <laughs> well, about failure? Well, we don't really have enough time here to go through all of them. But I, but I do think, you know, I do think that the one thing that Rick uh, brought up that I think is, is true, because I've had, a, had an opportunity is, you know, people tend to look at successful organizations, you know, I'm talking about people who maybe aspire to get into the business and they sort of say, God, if I could ever be part of something like that. And what I think sort of it kind of echoes what Rick said is, you know, the, the, the goal really or the, or the objective really ought to be to try to find something that really isn't doing very well or something that is struggling. I'm saying a, a sports organization and perhaps have a part in making it better. And, you know, it's easy to see the, the big successes. And I always, my, one of my favorite lines is, everybody's looking for a parade to step in front of. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think that, uh, it, it, and when you start looking for people who, uh, who you'll work with here, um, I, I think that the, uh, I think that the, the idea of, uh, going going to an organization that is not doing well and having hands and making it better is is really when you learn about people. You don't learn so much when things are successful. You learn when they're not. And I don't know. Sounds like you may agree, Rick. But it, 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 but in your you know when you approached the Golden State Warriors for the first time, you really didn't know what you were walking into, did you? No, and and uh, it wasn't it wasn't as good as I'd hoped and. 
but therein was even more opportunity than I expected uh, would be here when I got here. Well, Rick, talk. So what? Go ahead. Let's say talking about opportunity. You know, sometimes you don't have to walk into a situation. Sometimes you can create one. Um, would love for you to touch on, you know, the creation of the NBA All Star Weekend, and you know, some of the your opportunities with the Dream Team and the WNBA. You know, those are great accomplishments, obviously, but there had to have been uh, one or two things that stem from it in terms of the ideation and the creation and the and the vision. Um, can you touch on on those points? Well, I, you know, maybe consistent with where Pat was going uh, in his prior comment, you know, they were all kind of born out of big problems, right? And it was trying to find a solution to those problems. So we had, you know, we had a uh, one-day all-star event uh, prior to 1984, um, and we were starting a business organization, and I was trying to get out there and, and tell, talk about the virtues of investing in the NBA, which was not going so well. Uh, and I, you know, just by chance, uh, well, let's see, David Stern had been elected commissioner, but had not taken office. We were going to Denver uh, in 1984, and they, had a, they have a great ABA heritage and uh, had hosted the ABA All-Star Game in 1976, where the famous ABA slam dunk contest took place, and Julius Irving uh, became legend uh, overnight by winning that. And I was home one night and kind of depressed about my job and saw a Cracker Jack old timers game from Washington, D.C. and watched some guy who's probably about my age now hit a hit a home run over the Cracker Jack sign in left field and a whole bunch of uh, dots connected for me. So Stern had talked about that the, the NBA had never done a good job of, of of being in touch with its history and celebrating its history. And he was going to make a big part of doing that. Um, and he he so for me uh, was going to going to Denver their ABA heritage. Uh, Carl Shearer, the general manager there, said, "Hey, why don't we do a slam dunk contest at halftime?" And had to tell him that CBS had other plans at halftime. But somehow those dots connected overnight, and I went into Stern and said, "What if we did a second day of events?" Uh, and uh, for me, I think I could actually sell sponsorships to those events. We could have an old timers game that that brings back all these players you want to celebrate. We could have a slam dunk contest that celebrates Denver's ABA heritage. We could sell tickets for a second day. And I think we could talk uh, the entertainment and sports programming network, as it was called then, uh, ESPN today, into actually recording it and maybe making a show out of it. And better to be lucky than good. I actually sold a few things for the first time in my NBA <laughs> career. Uh, and we were off to the races. Dream Team was how to was how to get NBA players integrated into Olympic competition, where we had not ever been allowed to participate. And it was a, a long, many year process. We could discuss about how we had to earn our way into the international basketball community, and then uh, did it with a splash in 1992 with the Dream Team. The WNBA was about how to you know, how, how do we take this organization we built and deploy it in another way that we also build the sport of basketball came the 1996, uh, excuse me, yeah, 1996 Atlanta Olympics, which will always be remembered as, I think, the American women's uh, Olympics. They excelled in everything from gymnastics to softball to basketball, everything. And we were able to do some things a couple of years leading up to that that used that Olympics as a platform to launch a women's professional sports league that is in existence 22 years later today. Um, so they were all a little bit uh, 
answers to problems, but out of those problems, there were opportunities that, uh, you know, presented themselves and, and resulted in some, some things I'm really proud of career-wise. No, that's, that's amazing. Hey, Rick, you know, I, I think that I know you spent a number of, just like I have a number of times over the, uh, over the, the years, talking to, to young people who are interested in getting into the business and giving, you know, I don't know how many informational interviews I've given. You've given probably way more than I have. But, but I guess what, I, what I'm interested in is, is the kinds of things that you would say to somebody who, a young person who has, you know, gotten an education but is interested in, in a career in the business side of, uh, of sports, what do you think are the qualities? What do you, I mean, what are the things that uh, the qualities or the things that, that people should, should prepare for and look for um, if this is what they, they aspire to do? Well, I think the advice you give, the advice I give is, is probably a little uh, more honest than maybe people want to hear because working for a sports team sounds like going to games and hanging out with players. Uh, the reality is, uh, the the going to games is awesome, but, uh, the hard work that goes into everything else you do, um, and, and how you have to build your career, um, you know, maybe is not completely in vogue today in terms of starting at, uh, you know, the bottom of an organization and working really hard to advance up in that organization and maybe not being compensated as well as, your friends are being compensated for their entry-level jobs at other organizations. But you and I know, I hope all three of us know that, you know, the, the rewards of a career in sports are tremendous. And if you truly have a love for it and a passion for it, um, you know, you'll have an opportunity to succeed. And just like you would in any other business or, or occupation where you really truly have a passion and get up every morning saying, I can't believe I get to go do this and get a paycheck for it every day. But, um, you know, it's changed. I think, you know, I counsel if it's a young person, you know, I, I would encourage them in the NBA to go into our, our ticket sales programs. We employ, you know, average team probably has 30, 35 ticket sales people now. They start with a college degree, get amazing training. They do it for two years and either figure out they like this business and move on with an organization or another one uh, because they have a great pizza, a great, you know, entry on their resume, or they may decide it's, it's really not for them. And as an entry level uh, person learning the skills that you learn in that role, I mean, I, Pat, you probably are like me. I consider myself a salesperson. That's basically what I do every day, right? I try to convince people yeah. to be interested in Warriors basketball, and, and I can take a lot of forms. So um, what has changed, I would say, if you're talking to somebody further on in their career, is the opportunities to parachute into sports organizations in different roles uh, is greater now than they've ever been. Uh, you know, I had 15 people in my Seattle Supersonics business organization when I was there and winning a championship in 79. We have 200 on the way to 300 people uh, when we open our arena in San Francisco next October. Um, and the, the type of specialties that we need now, if you're, you know, we didn't have a lot of data scientists in, uh, in my Sonics organization in 1979, but we sure do now. And uh, so there's different skills that you can bring and maybe parachute in at a different level now. And also, you know, don't just look at teams and leagues. Like there are so many organizations now focused on sports outside of the team and league environment that create 
uh, tremendous opportunities. Are that in fact, they're some of the most important companies in our industry now. People like CAA or GMR, or some of the large uh, agent organizations. I mean, there's a lot of other ways to get involved in sports now than there ever has been before. Well, Rick, you bring up a great point. I mean, Pat worked for for Giants Enterprises, and and Pat can touch on that here in a in a second. You know, there's you talk about the new arena that you're opening up, right? There's probably so many events going on there other than just Warriors basketball games. Yeah, we're we're going from a, a team that uh, we have an NBA team and a and a and a G League team that. Uh, we rent our building at Oracle. Every, you probably think that when you go to a Warriors game, the person that helps you with your parking or scans your ticket or puts you through security or serves you a hamburger or shows you to your seat is a Warriors employee. And the reality is none of those people are Warriors employees. And part of the lure of the new uh, arena is that we will be managing every aspect of that. So our uh, the range of, of jobs expands dramatically. We're going to go from two to 300 full-time another thousand part-time uh, that we don't have today. So, so just in and of itself there, uh, the 200 events that happen at Chase Center, only 150 of them, uh, or excuse me, 150 of the 200 are not going to be Warriors games. So uh, great opportunity there. We're opening uh, 29 retail locations. We have a, a, a plaza and a park that we have to program every day of the year. So people are going to enjoy every experience they have coming down to Chase Center. So there's a, there's a lot going on. And the, the quote, quote, sports industry certainly has so many more opportunities than it's ever had before. Well, and it's, you know, you have a similar situation that, you know, I've gone through is that you go from being a, like you say, you being a tenant in a building to actually owning and operating your building. So you say, well, what sort of a what sort of skill set? What kind of people do you need? And and really, one of the challenges is as you're building the building, as it's coming out of the ground, you still have to operate your business, the, the business that you have, and you have to keep people, you know, motivated and focused on the business until you get there. And then once you get there, you have to, you know, you sort of have to shuffle the cards in a sense and determine what it is, you know, what's, what are the horses we have to have to make this thing work? So it's, you know, you're right in the midst of that now, Rick, and it's, uh, uh, and I know you think about it a lot, but it's a, uh, that is a challenge to figure out um, how do you do both at the same time? Yeah, really well said. I mean, I, most people here have had two jobs for the last five years and uh, you, you layer into that, uh, four consecutive trips to the NBA finals, meaning our season doesn't end in April. It doesn't end until the end of June. And it, it, it is a heavy, uh, heavy lift for the organization. I'm incredibly proud of the people here to have been able to balance both really successfully up until this point. But boy, you're right, Pat, we're, you know, nine months away from uh, 10 months away from opening a brand new building in San Francisco. And it's, it's becoming a bigger and bigger part of my day and everybody else's day. At the same time, you're trying to, to not take your eye off the ball and executing the season that's underway right now. Well, Rick, and you, you talk about, you know, hiring more and more people. Um, and we can ask Pat kind of his insights as well. But for those people who actually currently work in sports, maybe in other organizations, other teams, other leagues, you know, some of the outside opportunities that you were suggesting earlier, what can those people maybe focus on building their skill sets and, and looking for those new opportunities down the road as, you know, new uh, venues open up such as yours, et cetera? What are some of those things that people can 
focus on who are already in the business and already have a role uh, somewhere else? Well, I, I think we're expanding in every area. So I don't think there's one particular one that the job site boards, like even on our website, um, you know, we, we currently keep a roster of, of every job that we're interviewing for. And um, there are other job board sites like that uh, around sports. And, you know, it, it's, is try to learn as much as you can learn. Try to know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody because, uh, you know, if, if, you know, while it never gets you the job, um, certainly if it's somebody I know well who has a high recommendation for somebody, I make sure that person gets a look, right? That, that, mm -hmm. That's something you can do. And if you know, you know, people who are associated with the organizations or everything, uh, that that's what you can ask. And that's what somebody who has confidence in you will be happy to do. It doesn't, like I said, it doesn't, we don't hire because you're a friend of a friend, but we, you'll get an opportunity for sure uh, to be heard and, and state your case and, and compete for a job. If, if you're able to make one of those connections with somebody who knows you well and, and would have confidence in recommending you. That's great. Pat, I, always, I always, I always, I always advise, uh, young people as they're going up is to, is to continually sort of refine their personal elevator pitch. And what that means is, uh, you know, the elevator pitch is, you know, you're stranded in an elevator with somebody that, that you're trying to impress. What is it in, a, in that short ride that you can say about yourself that will give a glimpse as to what you're all about? I mean, ultimately, people have to answer the question, why should, why should you hire me? What is about me? that can, and you know, your personality and the thing experiences you have, if you can translate those into, uh, into a very succinct presentation about yourself, you know, we all spend so much time trying to sell our organizations. I think people who aspire to make a move in sports need to, you know, it would be wise to, uh, to, to look, look towards themselves and figure out uh, what's the most effective way that they can help sell them themselves and their own capabilities. No, that's great, Pat. And, and I do want to ask one more question as we wrap up today's episode. And, and I've started to do this on the last couple episodes, but Rick and, and Pat can both answer here. What's the one thing that if you were to start again today and you started where you started, you know, years ago, what would be the, the piece of advice you, you'd give to yourself that could then pertain to other people? And I know we've gone through a lot of advice and insights amongst different topics, but you know, what would be that one thing that stands out to you? Why don't you go, Pat? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. You know, <clears throat> that's okay. That's okay. You know, if looking back, I mean, obviously I wouldn't, wouldn't do anything differently. I mean, sometimes you zig where you should have zagged in, in your life and in your career, but you know, I'm sort of big. I don't know why I'm, I'm big on um, in the sports business. Anyway, I'm sort of big on sales uh, sales experience. And sometimes people, kids sort of turn their nose up at it. And I, I kind of laugh at it. And I said, no, it, th we're not selling used cars or life insurance here. You know, we're figuring out a way to give people something that they really, really will like. And figuring out a way to be, to, to pull, pull together a real succinct message, um, get somebody to listen to you, convince them that it's the right opportunity. And then the best part about it is being satisfied, having them be satisfied when what you've sold them is really has solved their problem or met their needs. I mean, there's, I don't know, I, there's no greater feeling in the world than that. I, I don't think I'm a natural sales person. I've, I've had to learn it, 
but understanding how to to actually sell a an idea and and make it and make it stick i, I don't know i think that's the uh that would be the the one thing uh maybe in my career but the one thing that i think is a is a real valuable talent to have i think that's awesome um I also, it's funny, this is really resonating with me right now. Um, I think uh, I want somebody who's going to be in this business to really enjoy the journey, right? And I'm spending a lot of time talking to our own organization about this now. We have, we have probably a third of our employees here who have never worked here in a year that we didn't go to the NBA finals. And uh, as, as uh, if I understand the math right, we've we've actually designed an industry where half the teams have to lose every night. Um, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much a statistical uh, uh, certainty. Um, and to experience what we're experiencing right now, uh, certainly the Giants had a very similar run. Uh, the 49ers have had a run like that. Um, unfortunately, you hear so many people who after the fact say I just wish I'd taken the time to enjoy that moment and at the time you expect it to go on forever uh it never does I hope our owner Joe Lacob isn't listening uh and but it but it but but the the journey is is the be all and end all right to be able to do something this uh exciting with people that you enjoy going to work with every day is what you look back on as the biggest reward and and when people regret not having enjoyed that i think that's a shame so i i you know i would encourage you to to enjoy the journey uh, that's awesome rick and, and i appreciate the insights there um, obviously, all the time you spent with us today, Pat, same to you. Um, really great episode and enjoyed learning from both of you guys. And, and I know our listeners will as, uh, as well. Um, Rick, we'd love to have you on in the, in the near future again. And, and obviously wish you the best of luck the, the rest of the way this season. Uh, great Thanksgiving and, and holidays. Uh, and, and Pat as well. Well, it was fun. You guys are good company. Thanks so much. It was great.